Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, you're in the elevator with me. Everybody say hi. Hi. Hey guys, you're about to listen in on a conversation with the one and only Matt Aitchison. And Matty A, I met him at a Best Year Ever Blueprint event a couple of years ago. You'll hear us talking a little bit about that. We had a fun conversation on Matty's podcast. And at the end of it, he said, hey, this was awesome. Your listeners might want to hear this too. So I hope you have as much fun listening as we did recording. And again, uh, it's been awesome to see many of you picking up your seats for the Best Year Ever Blueprint event, bestyeareverlive.com, bestyeareverlive.com. By now, well, seats last. All right. See you, everybody. Take care. <laughs> All right. We are officially live. So this is the first live Millionaire Mindcast that I've actually done uh, on the podcast. So I'm excited to have the guest that I have today. You're my, actually, you're my first returning guest, brother. So that's, hey, that's always, an honor. That's always fun and exciting. And today I got my buddy, John Berghoff, who really is a part of uh, many amazing movements and communities and making a significant impact in the world. And today we got some cool topics that we're going to talk about. And really, it was, this is one of the shows that we figured would be fun to just have uh, a very open fly on the wall kind of conversation. And John is so brilliant of a facilitator in what he does that I figured it'd be awesome being that your show was episode 66, where you talk all about really this ultimate, what I call the ultimate masterminding process of appreciative inquiry. We had so many conversations about it, so many questions about it, and a ton of people just wanted to know more. So it was actually perfect timing to kind of have you back on and to discuss how do we wrap up, you know, 2017, the final quarter with a bang, move into 2018 with some major momentum. And, uh, and you might have uh, something of value that you can offer people that want to do that, which I know we're going to talk about later on in the show. So welcome to the show, brother. How you doing, man? Hey, Maddie. <clears throat> it's really good to be here, buddy. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And happy to be chatting with you again. It is, uh, it's been a while. I think the last time I saw you was, uh, we were in Whistler, Whistler, right? That's right. I'll see you again, if not sooner, in uh, Steamboat Springs with the fantastic GoBundance tribe. That's right, man. So for the people that, you know, haven't listened to the show before or have never heard of JB, and just so you guys know who he is, I'm going to do a quick little brag on you. Let's see if I can actually pull it up here. This was, uh, I met you, gosh, is it two or three years ago now? You know, I've lost track, maybe <laughs> three. I don't know. I don't and know. Um, I always put down in my environment tribe section of my goals, certain people that I want to have mentor me or that, you know, are, I don't want to say guru because I don't necessarily, I mean, it's somewhat of a stigmatized word, but I would consider John um, an expert. Actually, please, could, could you just refer to me as guru from this point forward? <laughs> no, no, more, no more first name addressing, just guru. But John is an expert in his space in communication and facilitation and really experiential learning, which he's going to share a little bit more on that. But um, I wrote this down on my goal sheet uh, last year 
And um, you were one of the mem- you know, the mentors that I wanted to surround myself with and learn from. And I can honestly say, dude, you have uh, enriched my life in more ways than one. I've been uh, at a handful of events that you facilitated. I've got to you know, hang out with you after the events. We've got to do some, some really cool um, you know, adventures together. So it's an honor to have you on the show and, um, and to have you know, some, some more intimate conversations to let other people get a little taste of JB. But for, uh, for the people that you usually you know, explain your mini elevator pitch of who you are, what you do, what do you tell them? Yeah, well, thanks, Maddie. Um, what, do, what do I tell them? Um, usually I tell them I'm still trying to figure out how to explain that, which, you know, some people argue that's unacceptable. You have to have a perfect answer. Um, but sometimes it depends on who's asking. Um, you know, the one, the one part of me that's kind of unchanging when I wake up every day that, that, um, that actually gets me most excited is being a dad, Mm. um, being a husband and being a dad, you know, my wife and I have three little kids and, um, and even though there's lots of exciting things happening in our business, um, my team, who two of them are sitting right next to me, will confirm with you. I, I really get just as excited during the day to sketch up plays that I'm going to run when I coach my seven-year-old son's second-grade flag football team. So I, uh, or or when I show them videos of my daughter, or my three-year-old playing music or dancing at home. So. That's the part of me that's kind of unchanging. And then at work, um, you kind of started to allude to it. Uh, I'm the, the, the managing partner, which is uh, usually I change my title depending on who I'm talking to. I'm really the owner and founder of, of a business uh, called Flourishing Leadership Institute, which by the way, we could have a separate conversation. I think it's yeah. the silliest name. It's the silliest name in the world, but there's a reason why I ended up with that name. Um, and so Flourishing Leadership Institute, or FLI, F-L-I, we, uh, we convene groups of people. What the heck does that mean? We, we facilitate, um, we get brought in by companies of all different sizes. And we're really the only provider right now in the world at the scale that we're at of a very specific type of facilitation where we, we get brought in to help either an organization or a community um, to basically take control over their future. And what does that mean? It, sometimes we're helping a group of people to come up with a strategic plan. And part of what's unique about what we do is um, we'll put quite literally 50, 100, 500, last week it was 600, or it could be more, 600 people in one room for two or three days. And we move them through a very creative process that borrows from a lot of sciences and different disciplines. But at the end of that process, they not only will have maybe created a shared vision, uh, created a strategic plan, or solved some sort of big, massive, complex problem. Um, but hopefully, we've also created some real-time transformation even in the culture of that organization or that community. So um, whatever I just said probably leads to more confusion than clarity, Matt. But, uh, but we facilitate large convenings. And I've gotten to know you really well because it's been an honor to have been brought into the GoBundance community. I don't, can't remember the first time, last a couple of years ago maybe, to, uh, to play a, a small role as a partner in helping uh, to work with GoBundance to design and facilitate some of their large annual retreats. And so we get brought into um, communities like that where people want to find a way to tap into the collective intelligence in the room 
right? To crowdsource knowledge uh, and, and at the same time, do it in a way that strengthens the bonds and the human connections uh, across that community. So that's one attempt to describe what we do. Yeah, I, I would say, I think we met, or the first time you really facilitated was at, um, at Osborne's house, real intimate setting. And uh, we got to do some hiking, some mountain biking. We got to do all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and I'm sure, you know, you've got stories for days of some of the intimate rooms that you've been in, or even some of the large organizations. I think you, you know, you just did one for the city of Cleveland. Is that what you said? Yeah, last week we had uh, between five and 600 people come in and uh, it's the eighth year in a row the city has done this. We came in, one of our our partners and really a mentor of mine, he started this initiative nine years ago. And every year for 10 years, the mayor nine years ago committed to hosting an appreciative inquiry summit. Appreciative inquiry is the official term for the approach we use. And we can talk about that if we want. But yeah, we had five, 600 people come in and And they come in and they spend a day and we move them through a process using design thinking, facilitating story sharing, and really action planning where people um, go from talking about ideas to turning them into reality. And the the task of that initiative is about creating a sustainable future for our city. So what's really cool is that that initiative has generated some really epic innovations. In fact, some of your listeners may have heard in the news in the last few years, the first ever freshwater wind farm that received, I think, an initial grant of 40 or $50 million to, to build a wind farm to generate energy for the city of Cleveland about seven or 10 miles off the shore because we're right here at Lake Erie. That idea was born at one of our Appreciative Inquiry Summits a number of years ago. So uh, it wasn't a top-down uh, initiative. It, it, it was really, it was a grassroots idea that was born through the method we use that's become a reality. So yeah, I was, we just had that last week and it's incredible to see what happens when, when you have a way of bringing people together to innovate around something with such a high purpose, like creating uh, a green city on a blue lake. That's the official name of that project. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. That's pretty epic. So how, do, how does the average person bring this into their business or their organization or their team or, you know, and it can be in a personal or professional setting. Cause you guys, I mean, this is something that I've applied at home, you know, with my wife and my, my girls and how we want our tribe to look like, as well as, you know, the vision of uh, what we want the business to look like moving forward and some of the things that we're working on. So how does this apply to the common person or common business owner? Yeah. Well, good question. Because otherwise I would have kept telling stories that (laughs) might not mean anything to anybody. Um, So I think it applies in some some really uh, serious ways, Um, coming from a guy who doesn't take a lot of things seriously. But it's uh, some really direct ways. And, And I guess the best way for me to start by answering that is to give a little bit of background on the actual philosophy that guides the work that we do. So... Uh, the philosophy or the approach that we use is something called appreciative inquiry, which appreciative inquiry was born 35 years ago at Case Western Reserve University when there was a young PhD student, David Cooperider, and he was doing a consulting project as part of his PhD with the Cleveland Clinic. And, and David looked back historically at how most consulting had always been done and really is still done today. And, um, and what he noticed, and this is true, by the way, also of, you know, what they teach in management schools about managing and leading 
And he looked back and you could go all the way back to 1911. And there's a book that was published called The Scientific Principles of Management or something like that by Frederick Taylor. And what's really interesting, Matt, is that book, if you look at the table of contents, it's almost identical to the curriculum of most management schools around the world today, which is a little scary because times have changed, right? Well, David, he kind of saw this and he thought, he thought, wait a minute, the way most consulting is done is we go into a system like this hospital system or an organization or a team, whatever it is. And we ask a lot of questions about what's wrong, what's broken, what's missing, what's not working. And while it's possible for that to lead to solutions, David had this intuitive curiosity. He was really driven by the importance of curiosity. And what that led to was him creating a new method where instead of asking what's wrong or what's broken or what's missing, what if we walked into this hospital system and we started asking people questions like, well, when have we been at our best? And what if we started gathering those stories? And then what if we asked a follow-on question or series of questions like, well, what led to that? What were the factors that led to that success? And hopefully your audience is starting to get the idea that, oh, even though the work that I do and we do at FLI is all about large system change across a whole community, a city, a region, a country, an institution, a lot of what we've learned, Matt, is a really big deal even for a small entrepreneur or just one person. Um, Because the principles apply at any scale, right? right? And so David, 35 years ago, realized, wait a minute, instead of asking what's wrong, let's ask questions like, when have we been at our best? What caused that? Uh, no matter how this organization or community changes, what do we want to have stay the same? And so these are the kinds of questions that allow us, and again, our work at the level of a system, but as an individual, we can ask these of ourselves and they allow us to connect with our strengths. And we now know that when we connect to our strengths, we perform at a much higher level. Right. And then questions from there that say, okay, from our strengths, <clears throat> what could it look like if, to have an incredible future? What kind of images of the future would give us the greatest sense of pride or meaning or fulfillment? Or if I had a magic wand and I could make anything happen in any or every area of my life or my business, what kinds of ideas or images would emerge? And so as we've gone through the work that we do, where we walk people through these kinds of questions and we see what emerges, it's amazing because not only do we see transformation across the whole system, but at the same time, individuals are transforming. Mm. So there's a lot of, it's all built around one simple idea, Matt. And you ask, how does this apply to any of your listeners? And it applies by starting with um, one recognition, which is the importance of the questions that we ask ourselves, right? And if we're not consciously asking great questions, there's a good chance that our thinking might unconsciously be running programs that might not be serving us, yeah. right? And the, the irony is that I believe that, uh, that you know, our biggest distraction, right? We all, we all have four fundamental distractions. And these all come from just being unconscious. And the distractions are worrying about the future, how we keep revisiting or rethinking about the past, or worrying about other people, we're worrying about ourselves. Those are the four fundamental distractions. The interesting thing is if somebody hit rewind and they listen to all the questions I just gave you, they're actually brand new ways of consciously approaching the past, the future, others, and the self, right? So um, I find that if when people realize, hey, if I consciously think about the questions that I ask myself or bring into our team or our organization, what they start to discover is that questions are, are fateful. In other words, 
before the answers arrive, the future changes because mm. a question, like I'm wearing contact lenses right now, or, or sometimes I'll wear glasses. A question is just like putting a new lens in front of my eyeball, right? As soon as I put those glasses on my face, I can no longer see the lens, but instantly how I see everything in the world is changed. Questions are the same way. So they're re- we think they're really important and we're constantly trying to study what are the types of questions to ask and and, and how to articulate them and how to bring them to teams and organizations in a way where people can, something positive can come from them. Matt, I'll, I'll add one more thing and then please interrupt me so we can make sure this I got, a, I got a good question for you. All right, good. All right, good. <laughs> well, I'll, I just want to add one more thing. Yeah, please do. In the last year or so, one of the things that's become really obvious for me is that there's a skill set that is required that is a precursor to being great at asking questions. And that skill set, and it's something I've always sensed. It's, I, I realize I've actually practiced it, but I haven't, I've only recently been more aggressive about articulating this. And that skill set is the ability to pause. Um, some people would call this mindfulness. And uh, it's the ability to actually slow down our thinking um, all the way to the point where we can actually see our thinking. Right, because what what I see is that for a lot of folks, they might they might have a desire to have a different future, but they keep holding on to the same thinking that leads to the same actions, and it's just a it's a vicious cycle, right? And and because of that, they're not learning, they're not evolving, and so I think what we all have to figure out how to do is to slow down all the way to the point where we can actually <clears throat> start to see how we're seeing things. And then beyond that, see how others are seeing things, right? I call that, you know, you got to open our minds, then we have to open our hearts to see how others are seeing things. Then eventually we have to completely open up to new possibilities for a new future, um, where we see the world really through the lens of being one with the world, not disconnected. Now that gets weird really quickly, but I think we have to develop, um, the practice mentally to be able to actually slow down before we are going to be any good at asking these questions. Yeah. So so that kind of segues into the question I was going to ask you being that you guys studied so many different groups, big, small, different environments. And one of the things that, you know, we always say the quality of the question determines the quality of the answer, right? And so mm-hmm. you hear a lot of people go, well, I'm just not a good question asker. And it's like kind of some of that immediate negative self-talk. But when you hear that, what is your response or what empowerment or piece of advice do you provide them with in order to help them move in the right direction to becoming a better question asker, whether it's with themselves, whether it's within a team setting, mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. relationship, how, how does somebody become a better question asker? Yeah. The way I'm going to answer that is I'm going to share a, um, a, an interesting little parable that I'm guessing some of your listeners may have heard but I promise they've never heard the ending I'm going to give because ah. <laughs> I, I made it up. Um, <laughs> so um, so I, I'll share a, an interesting little parable that reveals within it, I think, a few different answers to your question. And I love the question you just asked. You know, How do we become better at asking questions? So uh, everybody or many people have heard the, the parable of the three bricklayers, right? Where we walk up to 
three dudes laying bricks. And the first guy, I ask him the question, you know, why are you doing what you're doing right now, right? And, and why is a, an important fundamental question we all want to learn how to ask, right? Um, but I'll skip ahead and give you part of my punchline. We have to learn how to answer them too. Learning how to answer is important as learning how to ask. So the first bricklayer says, well, why am I? I'm laying bricks because I got to earn a paycheck, right? Second bricklayer, who's literally doing the same thing, but has a different answer. He says, well, I'm doing this because this is my career, because I build buildings, right? And if you compare those two answers, this is my career, I build buildings, compared to, I just want to earn a paycheck, you, you already immediately start to learn something, which is that, you know, you can have two people doing the same thing, but the meaning that they give to their work can be very different, which reveals a powerful lesson about purpose, right? right. Yeah. We often think, well, if, I, if only I were doing something different, change my career, company, job, whatever profession, you know, that I'd find more meaning. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Uh, maybe it's not. But then there's the third bricklayer. We can't forget about him. And we ask him, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm building a cathedral to connect people closer to their creator. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's a depth of meaning or purpose that's, that's way beyond the first two guys, right? right. So, so Matt, there's a few lessons within this here, right? <clears throat> so one lesson is um, we're talking about a question about purpose, right? The, the question of why am I doing what I'm doing is a fundamental question about purpose, right? So there's one lesson that's revealed. And the, the first lesson is that, you know, purpose and that question in that moment, when we ask those bricklayers, why are you doing what you're doing? We have to realize that they all had an unconditional freedom to answer that question how they wanted, right? Nobody was forcing the first bricklayer to answer it one way or the third to answer it another way. They have unconditional freedom to how they answer those questions, yeah. right? However, I can actually argue that they don't. And the reason I would argue that is because let me complete the story. So we're standing there amongst these three br bricklayers. We'll guess what? They actually heard each other's answers, right? Imagine, by the way, if anyone's listening, if you have three employees, right? And, and you can translate this whole metaphor to your team. Imagine if you have partners, strategic partners, right? I treat a strategic partner of any kind. You call them a vendor, supplier, whatever you want. These are all partners. The same as employees, right? We all have to figure out how to configure our strengths to create some sort of positive outcomes, right? Right. So um, here's what happens next is the first bricklayer goes, hey, uh, wow, I'd never heard anybody answer it that way. He's, and he says, you know what? Now that I heard how that guy answers it, there's no reason his answer can't become mine, right? And the second bricklayer says, gosh, you know, I'd never thought of it that way either. Although, because of my personal beliefs, I'm going to change the words a little, right? Because of my beliefs, I'm going to say we're building a cathedral to connect people to Christ, not their creator because I want to project my beliefs. What's interesting is now the first two guys have elevated their purpose because of how the third articulated it, right? Wow. Yeah. And one of the lessons there, and if you lead a team or an organization, there's, a, there's several lessons at once. One of them is how important it is to keep asking why of everybody and to keep inviting um, the answers to keep being elevated to a higher, stronger, bigger, broader, deeper sense of purpose, a greater impact, right? The other lesson is how important it is to enable dialogue 
or uh, conversations where people can come together and they can learn from each other's answers, right? Because asking a question is actually an act of generating mindfulness because everybody has to slow down even for a moment to answer it, right? So it actually creates that pause for all three bricklayers. So the first two, they've now elevated their sense of purpose. And now you have, not only do you have a higher purpose across all three, but you now have a shared sense of purpose. So all these incredible things have just happened there. Wow. Um, but there's one more final lesson that I want to share from this, which is the answer to your question. How do we get better at asking questions? And see, if you, if you ask that first bricklayer again, you say, well, you know, why had you never thought of it this way? Well, you know what his answer was? He goes, I just never had the mental vocabulary to come up with that answer, right? How many of us have heard somebody say, here's my mission, here's my purpose, and we immediately love that. And we go, oh, I like that, Yep. right? And, yep. and, and part of what, what just happened there is I can borrow from your vocabulary. So Matt, the, my long answer made a little longer to how can someone get better at asking questions is we have to practice it, right? And we have to expand our vocabulary because the limits of our language become the limits of our lives. The limits of the words that we can grasp limit everything, right? So as a leader, whether it's for myself and or for others, I not only need to build the habit and the practice of asking great questions, right? But I also have to build the habit and the practice of allowing myself to not get attached to my first answer, right? To be open to letting my answers evolve. So that's hard for a lot of people too. Uh, yeah, I think it can be. I think it can be, sure. So going back to leadership, because there's yeah. a lot of people that will say, you know, your success will rise and or fall on your leadership. And you've been in rooms with some insane leaders, people like billionaire Jeff Hoffman, you know, a lot of our GoBundance brothers, UN facilitations, I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? And so you've seen many different layers and levels and spaces of leadership. Where would you pinpoint some of the greatest outlooks of the leaders that you've been around and where have you seen some of the um, individuals be exposed? And I, mm-hmm. I basically want to kind of bring attention to the areas of, for people, whether it's small business, running a, you know, 500 employee organization, or they're just looking to be better in their, you know, their personal life. What are some of the characteristics that you've seen leadership, you know, elevate people and areas where the quote unquote leaders have fallen and been exposed? Yeah. Well, Two short stories, I would take the over on that, <laughs> but uh, about great leaders that I've had the privilege of learning from in my life and see if your listeners can uncover the qualities because uh, there's some commonalities. And then I've seen those qualities continue with other leaders that I now get to, to work with. The first person I would consider to be you know, a leader in my professional life was when I was 17, 18 years old. I was selling Cutco knives and Dan Cassetta was uh, really a good old DC DC. That's right. He was a life changing mentor of mine at a, at a, at a pivotal age in my life. And you know, Dan, there were a couple basic lessons that he taught me. One of them was, you know, your income, because when you get into sales and you're 17 years old, you, you know, you care about a couple of things and you, you want to be successful and you want to make money and that's fine. And he said, okay, well, look, your income will seldom exceed your level of personal development. And, and, but really, there's something underneath that, you know, catchy little quote. 
And one of the things that, that I witnessed was here at 17 years old, Dan at that time and still considered today to be one of the greatest managers in the 60-year history of that company. So you could argue that Dan is the kind of guy who he could easily say to himself, I've got all the answers. I'll teach you and I'll mentor you and, um, and you'll be great. What ended up happening is he did teach me and he did mentor me, but he was also really, really quick to encourage me to develop um, a hunger to learn that went way beyond anything he could teach me. In fact, I was 17 and he brought into our office a, uh, a guy who was kind of a Tony Robbins trainer. And, and he let that guy sell us into a three-day uh, Mastery of Influence seminar. They don't run it anymore. You can get the tapes, but I went to it 18 years ago where you could sit through a three-day seminar. It was like uh-huh. 30, 30 of us. Mastery of Influence. Pete Trubay was his name. And I hear not only did I pay whatever it was, a thousand bucks or more to go through this seminar at the age of 17, I hired Pete Trubay. I paid him 500 bucks a month as a 17-year-old um, to learn, right? And so that's the first story to hold on to. Then I'll, I'm going to fast forward, I don't know, 10 years when I was brought into the Vitamix Corporation to head up their direct sales organization. And the gentleman that brought me in, his name is Tony Sepiel. He's still the, the chief operating officer today. And I still consider him a close friend and a mentor. And you know, when Tony brought me in, here's a guy who he had, at the time he brought me in, he had already bought and sold many businesses by every at least superficial measure of success. He had you know, achieved, achieved all the pinnacles of success in life. And, uh, and he, since then, has you know, led a, an incredible success with Vitamix. But Tony, I was amazed because here I was, you know, even though I was hired to, to lead their sales organization, you know, arguably he could have felt like he had all the answers. And yet we would sit down and he would ask me, he'd say, what do you think we should do? to manage through some really complex challenges with a lot on the line. And and then not only would he ask, but he would authentically listen and then he would let me go execute. And um, at times with way less micromanaging or direction than people may have thought or or realized. Um, And he, he had a trust in me. And I give these two examples because both of those examples, you also mentioned Jeff Hoffman, who's an advisor of ours and a good friend. Um, and when I think of every other leader who I really admire and who we work with now, there's a few qualities they all embody that, are, that show up in those examples. One is a, an, what I would call an insatiable curiosity, an insatiable curiosity. They, they're, they're constantly curious and curious, I would say, uh, for the right reasons, um, meaning they're curious because they're coming from a place of, and this is the prerequisite to have really legitimate curiosity is real humility, right? Because we can only be really curious all the time if we're coming from a place of humility, right? Right, And that place of humility is a place where I'm able and willing to say, even though my name is on the door and I'm the person in charge and I'm the top boss, I'm able and willing to say, I don't know, right? And that's the sign of a great leader is when they have the courage, the wisdom, and the humility to say, I don't know, and to be curious, um, and to inspire others to be curious, that's what creates the ripples that create a learning organization where people are learning on their own, they're thriving on their own because they're really legitimately curious. So that's a quality, Matt, that I think leaders need to, uh, I think they need to nurture, is, is a pervasive, nonstop curiosity you know, people ask, what's your learning program? What are you doing to develop yourself? 
I don't know a moment looking back, I don't know how many years where I'm not constantly questioning how the world works, why things happen a certain way. There is no on-off switch with great right. leaders. Yeah. There's no on-off on the curiosity. There's, it's a never-ending insatiable curiosity, which comes from a place of humility, which I know sounds nice on a podcast. It's easy to say. And, uh, but I think that's a big one that I see as a commonality. I think of, it's true. I think of all of the people I've interviewed and every single one of them are looking to learn something new. You look at Jeff Hoffman, one of the things he said that has served him over his journey of, you know, building a multi-billion dollar company was one of his daily practices, which was what he called info sponging, where Mm -hmm. every single day, whether it's in his specific practice or whether it's, you know, in, uh, a random, you know, area of his life that he just wants to know more about. He's constantly training his brain and working that muscle to continue to improve it. And I think the second you think you know it all is the second you start to digress very rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. So in regards to surrounding yourself with the right leaders, I would say that um, one of the greatest hacks for business or life is going to events, being a part of mastermind groups. I recently... Um, heard Cameron Harold say that the best business investment you can make is by being a part of mastermind groups. And that if you're not a part of one, um, you're really missing the boat and you're missing the ability to shorten your learning curve, avoid a massive amount of mistakes, avoid losing a ton of money that you could probably Mm -hmm. truly bypass by being a part of some of these organizations. And I mean, I've been a part of your mastermind group, GoBundance, um, been to best year ever blueprint. I'm curious on your take on the power of mastermind groups and events, because even though it's a massive billion dollar industry, the general public or many people look at this as somewhat of a taboo type space. So what's your take on it? Yeah. Oh boy. Well, I could, I could, as you know, I could talk endlessly about this. I have no shortage of opinions and that's all they are is opinions. Um, (laughs) yeah. So Generally speaking, I think I would agree that <clears throat> investing into enabling oneself to be in an environment where they can accelerate their learning, shorten their learning curve, uh, for me, that's continued to be a worthwhile investment. I do think, though, it's not universally a good investment um, because not all events are created the same. Not all communities are created the same. And... Um, and, and whether or not a community or an event is the right community or right event really depends on the person going. Right. And so one of the things I think is important, you know, and we get brought in to design events all the time. And so you would think I would say, well, anything we're involved in is a great idea. That's not necessarily true because it, it really depends on the person. It's got to be the right fit, right? And I think when someone is thinking about investing to go into a mastermind group or go to an event, there's some things that they can do proactively so that when they show up, they can multiply the value they get from it um, by how they prepare going into that event. We can talk about that if you want, but that's... Uh, yeah, yeah that, that, could, that was going to be my next question is how do people get the most out of these events or how do they yeah. maximize their ROI on the time, money, and energy invested in a lot of these you know, spaces? Yeah. Well, if most of your listeners are like me and they're running on fumes and, they're, and they've got more to handle than time will ever allow them to handle, they probably don't think about the events they're going to until they get off the airplane 
And they go, shit, what hotel is this event at? I should call somebody <laughs> to figure out where this Uber should take me. By the way, that's me like nine yep, out of 10 I'm raising times, my hand. Right? Where am I staying at? Where's this event? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I get that. I get that. Um, and and if, that's, if, if that's all you have, that's great. I think there's a few things that during that Uber ride, you ought to do to uh, get the most out of that event. So number one is get clear on, you know, who am I showing up to this event? And when I say, who am I? Um, I really believe that, you know, the greatest value in a lot of these events, it depends on how the event's designed too, right? Um, so that's a whole other conversation, but the greatest value universally, regardless of the design is the potential for the relationships, right? The potential for the relationships. And I know I've been to events, Matt, where based on whatever was going on in my life, you know, I've got a family back home, I've got businesses I'm trying to run where I don't show up at my best. And, and what I later realize is, you know, that energy that I'm exuding or not exuding, um, that probably cost me in terms of, did I resonate with people that I met with? Um, because what, one of the things we know from the fields of positive psychology, from the great work done uh, in emotional intelligence or even neuroscience is that when you and I meet each other or when anybody's listening to this or watching, if they're watching us on the live stream, you know, you and I are exuding a frequency right now, right? Some people are receiving that through literally the gestures on our faces. Some people are receiving it through our vocal qualities um, and they're receiving it in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that we know, it's measurable. It is absolutely measurable that the moment you and I connect at an event, say we've never met, you know, there is what's called a micro moment. And potentially, Barbara Fredrickson, one of the leading pioneers and researchers in positive psychology, she calls it a micro moment of positive resonance, right? And what happens is if it, it, we create a micro moment of positive resonance, um, it actually can create not only an immediate transformation in, in what we think and how we feel about each other, but it can be permanent too, right? Because hmm. part of how humans have stayed alive for a long time is we learn how to make quick judgments, yeah. right? Conscious or unconscious. So I think the first question someone should ask is, who do I want to be, right? How do I want to show up? Am I, am I really going to be on my phone the whole time? Am I really going to be disconnect? I mean, and that's just basic. That's superficial, right? Um, but even beyond that, you know, what kind of values, what kind of qualities? And someone might argue, well, I don't know if I could change who I am on the Uber ride there. Well, it's not about changing who you are. It's about reconnecting to the best parts of who you are, right? Um, because at any given moment, depending on how I'm dealing with well or poorly what's going on in my life, I might not show up very well. And it yeah. might, I might not bring my best self. So I might, I might just want to reflect on how do I want to show up? Who do I want to be? Because I think we, we underestimate, my opinion is, we can underestimate the power of that first interaction, Right. If here's here's a simple example, just to be real specific here. When I meet somebody and I shake their hand, you know, depending on what's going on inside of my my head and my heart, um, there. When I shake their hand, you know, I might not realize it, but if if I'm embodying a disempowering emotion or state because I'm distracted by my past, right? We talked about that earlier, or or something else that's outside of where I'm physically present. They're actually going to see that in my eyes. They're going to see it in my eyes because instead of connecting deeply immediately with who they are, they're going to see me just my presence just wandering a little bit, right? And, and we might not talk about it, but that moment right there could cost me a lot in the potential of that relationship. So I got to get present. When I go to events, whether I'm running it or attending, 
Um, I look for micro moments for me to practice my mindfulness practice, to breathe and to connect just with myself so that when I walk in the room, I can be, I can be fully present to who's there. All right. So that's, that's like step one to getting the most out of the event. Yeah. You know, the next step is to decide, okay, not only who do I want to be, but how do I want to behave in terms of what's my strategy at this event? Right. So, uh, if somebody's teaching, right, making a decision ahead of time, I'm going to be hyper present. And that's a lot easier to say right now than it is to do. Um, but I actually love being an attendee because as someone who runs events, um, I tell myself, I want to be the attendee that if I was running it, I wish was sitting in the audience. Mm. And so when there's a presenter, I, I do my best to not let my eyes unlock from their eyes. I do my best to let every word that comes out of their mouth settle into my mind and my heart, right? Do you or give them like the, the creepy googly eyes or is it like, hey, I'm here with you? Hey, if, it, <laughs> if that's what happens, that's what happens. Yeah. If that's what happens, that's what happens. I just want to be present. I want to be me and I want to be present. Yeah. So, totally. And that's a learning strategy. That's a learning strategy, right? And then the next question is a networking strategy, right? So how do I want to show up as a networker? And I think one of the smartest things anybody could do is before they walk into a room, they should already know who's in the room. Yep. They should already have their short list of, I don't care if there's a hundred or a thousand, who are the three most important people for me to get connected to? And if they're really that important, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to partner with somebody or multiple people. Because the best way to get connected is not to introduce myself. It's to create an agreement where somebody else introduces me, right? Because just like you introduced me on this podcast, I don't remember what you said, but I'm sure you said things about me that it would have been weird for me to say about myself, right? Sure. So it's, what's my networking strategy? And then not only am I looking at who's going to be there and how do I want to be introduced to those folks, um, but I'm also thinking about, you know, what are the values that are going to drive how I, the first words that come out of my mouth. So I, want, I might want to be prepared with, you know, am I there to take, am I there to sell, or am I there to give, am I there to solve, right? Um, and so if I look at who's there and I realize, well, I know a bunch of people and here's what they do. Well, as I meet others, the, the fastest way to generate value at an event is to be an introducer, is to connect people, right? Oh, you've got a problem. I know a guy that could solve that. Let me connect you guys. Yeah. So now both of you feel in some sort of reciprocity maybe is due to me. And I don't have to do it just because I want you to give something back, but that's not a bad strategy, right? It's also an easy way to know how to create conversation. The last thing I'll add, Maddie, is just having a conversational strategy too. Which um, So when we design events, we... we we try and do all this thinking on behalf of everybody, right? So they don't have to think. And we, we're facilitating how they're actually having certain small conversations so that it gets meaningful really quickly. Um, but thinking about what are the kinds of questions that are going to most quickly help me to uh, learn about and maybe connect with this person, right? So questions like, what are your strengths? What are you good at, Right. Um, when are you at your best, right? Or give here, that's what you do in your business. Give me an example of the, of the, of the best result you've created for a client ever. That's a great question. Cause not only am I going to learn about what you're good at, but I get to leave you in a positive state of mind. Cause you're telling a success story, right? I love that. Um, yeah. And a nice follow on question could be what motivates you, right? Asking people what motivates you more than anything else. Why do you do what you do? Right? So now I understand what they value and what gives them a sense of purpose, um, and that tells me a lot really quickly. And then if, if I want to ask another question, it's where are you headed? What's your future look like? If you could wave a wand, what's a year, three years look like? You know, what's going to be your biggest challenge? But more than anything, if you could make anything happen in your business two years from now, what would you love to see? So you ask questions like that. Our mutual friend, Christopher Lockhead, I love what he says. He said, 
for the rest of my life, I don't want to find myself in a conversation that doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? So um, that's my challenge to anyone who goes to an event. You know, if we're not facilitating this for them, can you make it so that any conversation you're having a minute in or three minutes in or five minutes in, if you were to step back and observe it, you'd say, this has become meaningful quickly. It, it didn't stay superficial. We didn't gossip about the last speaker. We didn't talk about the weather. No, we both flew all the way here. Let's, get, let's make this worthwhile, even just with one question that we ask each other. I don't know where we started with this. Oh, getting the most out of it. Yeah, it is brilliant. I had a bunch of notes. You touched on a lot of the ones that I've kind of over time, because I've been to so many darn events that when I go, it's like, hey, if I'm going to spend, you know, our time is important at the end of the day. It's the one thing we don't Mm -hmm. get back. And now that I have two little girls and my wife, when I'm gone, I mean, I want to make sure I am maximizing every second of every minute that I'm gone because... You know, I want to make it worthwhile because that's stuff, you know, that's time that I'm not going to get back with them, right? So I want to make it count. But um, it, you touched on some great things and I want to add to a few of those because yeah, you, please. The, I always have in my Evernote, I have 50 thought-provoking questions that I carry around with me everywhere, whether it's with somebody on the plane, whether it's a conversation like this, whether it's at a networking event. I can bust those out and make sure that, like you said, we're having meaningful conversation. Another great way to... Um, really make sure you get the most out of the events is join leadership teams. I mean, that's honestly how I met you the first time. Two years ago, I met... Uh, well, a couple of years ago, I met Hal uh, at Hal Elrod at uh, the Go Abundance event. And he said, hey, come check out our best year ever blueprint. And I was like, hey, it sounds good. I want to have my best year ever coming up. And didn't know what I was going to get into. But I've always tried to show up early to events because that's usually when the influencers and the leaders show up. So you might get to get to a dinner with somebody before all of the networking and the bombarding happens of those leaders in the community. You actually get time to connect with them before they turn into, you know, networking or speaker mode or Mm -hmm. facilitator mode, right? So showing up a day early is always a great way, but also being on the leadership team, you get to really one, learn. I've learned so much about how to facilitate events because I was on the leadership team and I've been around you in a lot of different settings. So that's always a good way. And also you talked about, you know, having your short list of people, knowing the speakers, knowing the leaders in the community and, and actually doing your research on them. So it's not the, you know, superficial, Hey, how you doing? Da, da, da. But you can actually have some you know, some common ground where you can, t- hey, I saw that you just posted on da da da. That's freaking awesome. That's something I'm actually working on improving in my business or whatever it may be. Um, there's some good stuff there. Always having the way, to, you know, connecting with a few people that you can get warm introductions with. So oftentimes I will go with somebody where I may not necessarily know anybody in the community, but I'll go with a couple people that already have a deep connection in the community. And they're going to show me the people and the influencers and the right individuals to connect with there. Because oftentimes we don't know what we don't know, right? And if you're going to some large events and there's 500, 1,000 people, as much as I'd love to connect with many as many people as possible, I want to connect with the most impactful and influential people because that's really what I'm there to do is to get that ROI and maximize that. So I just, I thought a lot of what you said was, was great because, um, you know, these are some of the greatest opportunities, some of the greatest friendships, relationships. And I can honestly mm-hmm. pinpoint back, you know, the one degree shift in my life in many scenarios has come from a relationship I had at a conference or a mastermind group or a networking event. And so... Um, I think this is going to be, and you're, we're all seeing it, right? More and more and more 
events are now surfacing and coming up. So um, it's something that I think people should really be aware of and also not just go to go, but know how to maximize it when they do go. Yep. I love it. I love it. So you guys facilitate a handful of events and I know um, Best Year Ever Blueprint is coming up. So I've been the last two years and I'm curious to know what you guys got in store for us this year. Yeah, we got a couple things going on. I don't know if new or different is the right word. Yeah, there's definitely some things that'll be new and different. So a little background for your listeners, for, for any who haven't been. The Best Year Ever event, I, this started four, yeah, four years ago. I got a phone call from Hal or three years ago, it was 2014, November of 2014. And those of you that don't know Hal, he's author of The Miracle Morning and he started that community and they've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the world that practice this Miracle Morning. Yeah, And I've known Hal for 20 years and uh, he called me in November of 2014. He said, JB, he said, hey, I decided to put on my first ever live event. You know, I'm going to help people to plan out their best year ever. And that's what we're calling it. And he said, I sold it out. We got 200 people coming. And I said, what do you got planned? And he goes, well... I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a plan yet for it. <laughs> That's up to well, you, man. Yeah. So during that conversation at the time, I was at Vitamix and he knew I was running big conferences all around the world. And he said, well, why don't you come work with me to design it and facilitate it with me? And so that was 2014. We've done it three years now. And that, that whole event, it's built around a couple of principles. If you have anyone listening, you know, I don't care whether or not they come to the event, but for people who are going to put on events, hopefully you could learn something from this to think about so you can create great value for your attendees. There's a few principles that guide what we do there. Number one is the learning is all experiential. And what does that mean? Well, what it means is based on a simple premise, which is that as human beings, uh, when we're put into a learning environment, an event is one of those you know, if the learning happens in a way where it's too passive, right? And passive learning is somebody on the stage is talking and talking and talking and talking. And great things can happen from that. And great things do happen from having people talk from the stage. What's interesting though, is if you have two days of that or three days of that, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the reality is you're only going to take away maybe an idea or two if you're lucky from listening to people talk for days on end. The other thing we know, we all know this, is that energetically, uh, physically, and therefore mentally, um, to just be in a passive situation, it's, it's, the, it's the least effective way to spend our time if we want to really learn and really transform. So the first major principle that our events are built around is it's, it's got to be experiential. So we're very careful, Matt, in that um, we balance the amount of time where there's some sort of wisdom being shared from the stage and the participants are going through some sort of activity or exercise or thought exercise or discussion in pairs or small groups that take the learning from passive to active. And then to really um, accelerate that, You've been there and you've seen this. We, have, we take a holistic approach to creating a, just a killer environment from lighting to sound to music. Some people come and they're like, wow, it didn't matter if anybody spoke. Just this thing was kind of like a rock yeah. concert of some kind. Um, and actually, Brother James, our in-house musician, he launched his music event career at our Best You Ever event three years ago. And his music, and by the way, his songs that he's bringing this year, and nobody's heard him because he hasn't produced the album yet. But he's got about a half a dozen songs that make his first 10 songs that were everybody's favorites. All people are going to want to hear all these new songs. So we, wow. got, we got live, incredible music being played all throughout the event. We bring nature into the room. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of beliefs around nature and what that does for us. 
So we bring plant life and trees and all sorts of shit into the room <laughs> um, to just to create an incredible learning environment, right? So that's one thing uh, that's interesting about our event. In terms of what's someone actually going to learn, what do we actually do? The whole event is driven by three or four fundamental questions. And then we design these activities for people to experience these. And we fell off of this a little bit last year. Uh, we did a good job of this the second year. And this year, we're going to do a better job of it than we ever have, where uh, during the three days, if they come for our Entrepreneur Day, and we have the speakers we have, we have Joe Polish, Mike Keenigs, we've got David Osborne, uh, Betsy and Zoe, the improv gals. Yeah. Uh, they work with some of the biggest companies that we've all heard of. Uh, Dana Mallstaff is going to be there on Entrepreneur Day. We've got... Um, I know right now I'm forgetting. We've got John Vroman, the Front Row Factor podcast and book and founder of the Front Row Foundation. Hal and I will be there the whole time making things happen. So it's a, we have an incredible group of speakers. That's something different than in the past. We've, we've, we've brought a few more speakers in that we haven't had before. We've got Jeff Kaler, the magician, um, who, threw, yeah, who threw magic, shows, teaches us about creating moments for others. So we've got these speakers. It's an experiential learning environment. Um, but then interwoven throughout that, there's a backbone. And that backbone is basically three or four fundamental questions. The first one is we, we connect people to the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or we, we connect them to answers. And we create an activity where their answers evolve in, in a really cool way. So people are going to leave there with a deeper sense of purpose than they may have ever had. The second question is we connect people to their strengths. We have some activities we facilitate where people are able to uncover not only when they've been at their best, but why they were at their best and how can they leverage those personal strengths mm. to bring into their future, which leads us to, and this will be the first year where I will actually prepare the guided visualizations we do. I almost always do the, I do always do them impromptu. And um, uh, there's been so much demand for these guided visualizations. We use music and super powerful. Yeah. And uh, we've got a couple of visualizations we're preparing that, that have people seeing futures they've never seen before. And then an exercise that helps them to embody that future. And this isn't weird shit. It's not, uh, we don't do psychotherapy. Not that there's anything wrong with that stuff, but it's, um, it's just some practical but experiential ways of going through these basic questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What are my strengths? What kind of future do I want to create? And then the final one is what's my plan? So people are going to, in the room, they're going to put together a plan. They actually get to share their plans with each other to learn from each other. So there's a lot of learning from participant to participant. And we have people actually taking action towards their plans before they go home. We think that's really important. It's really easy to come to these events and right. have a great experience and then nothing happens. So we have that momentum start right there in the room. There's always some surprises and things I'm not telling you about, but um, that's the essence of the event. Oh, there's one more part of it that is, uh, it's actually the thing I'm most proud of. It started two years ago when we asked a question, which was, how do we transform the whole industry of personal empowerment events? That was a guiding question. We had four sub-questions. One of the sub-questions was, how do we integrate a sense of purpose into this event that goes beyond just talking about it? And that led us to an answer, which was, what we're going to do is in the middle of the event, Hal and I are going to host a huge party. We're going to host a celebration. So historically, we'd send people out into the city, go do whatever you want on your own. No, you go get dressed, come back into the meeting room. We're going to throw a party to celebrate life. 
And we're going to do it in honor of the Front Row Foundation. For anyone who doesn't know, our good friend John Roman, 11, 12 years ago, started the Front Row. It's a WISH organization that sends individuals that are braving life-threatening illnesses. They're battling for their lives and we send them and their families to the event of their dreams. And we create a magical moment, not only for that beneficiary, but for their families to hold on to because since we've done this, we've sent 100 people to events and half of them pass away not long after the event. And so their families are able to hold on to that moment as a positive memory. But even more so, the reason Hal and I wanted to partner with the front row is because it's a life philosophy. Living life in the front row, being a moment maker for others is something that we believe is essential to people designing and planning and living out their best year ever. So Saturday night, we throw a big celebration of life. We turn it into a fundraiser. In the last few years, we raised well over a hundred grand and the whole thing is organic. It just comes together and um, so that's a, that's a cool aspect of this event that uh, is kind of unique, but that's November 17th, 18th, 19th. I, I forget to actually sell this stuff. I should give like the <laughs> URL, right? It's November Whoa. 17th, 18th, 19th, sunny San com. bestyeareverlive.com. Okay, Go cool. now while seats last, bestyeareverlive.com. <laughs> that's, your, that's your sales pitch right there, which if you know John, he is not a salesman in that regard. So we'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. If you're watching this live, we'll post it in the feed as well as um, in the show description. If you're checking it out on YouTube, on the website, matthson.com uh, for the blogcast as well. So brother, it is always a pleasure getting to spend some time with you, man. I got to say, uh, I have a, a true, true, true love for you and everything that you're doing for others, for the world. And uh, just how you lead your life, man. You're, you're an amazing example to a lot of people. And uh, you've, you've definitely impacted me on many levels. So my deepest gratitude to you. I'm excited to continue to you know, blaze a trail in the world and um, continue to watch you, you know, make the impact that you're making on many different platforms. For those that want to connect with you outside of uh, the podcast here today, where do you spend most of your time in social media land? Yeah, they could meet me at Colony Park. I'll be coaching second grade flag <laughs> football. Um, uh, yeah, the, you know, I'm, I, I, have, uh, I don't have a strong social media presence uh, or digital presence by design. If people want to reach me, they can just send us an email at our company and it'll, it'll land on my desk. And the email is hello, hello at lead, L-E-A-D, the number two, and then flourish, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H.com. Hello at lead to number two, flourish.com. They can shoot me an email. They can become Facebook friends or come join me in sunny San Diego, November yes. 17th, 18th, 19th, best year ever live.com. And Maddie, thanks for the compliment, buddy. Coming from you, man, that means the world. So I appreciate it. You bet, man. I mean it. And as always, how we end every episode, what's your definition of wealth, brother? Oh, definition of wealth. Uh, my definition of wealth would be anything that I do that is contributing to a future where the world is flourishing um, not only economically, but also socially and ecologically, mm. where people and nature and life are thriving. Uh, anything that I'm doing that's contributing to that is generating wealth for the world in the way that I want to. Love that. Well, wealth goes far beyond dollars in my book, and you live and lead your life like that every single day. So John Berghoff, signing off. We appreciate you, man. Cheers. See you, Maddie. Thanks, buddy. Bye. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Your Goals podcast.